when you respond to Jesus, it's not just that your status changes in the eyes of heaven. It's not just that you're rescued from the kingdom of darkness and from now on heaven is your, your home, your birthright. It's that your heart changes, your inside changes. And in your deepest bit, the Spirit of God comes and makes his home with you, right there in the inmost part of your being. It's a bit like having a home with a guest room. And Jesus comes and makes his home with you, a permanent guest who is the Spirit of God. And the Spirit's a very gentle house guest, the very best kind of house guest. He does not overwhelm, does not insist, does not exert control, is patient, kind, long-suffering, forgiving. He's never in the kitchen when you want to cook, never in the bathroom when you want the bathroom, kind of never in your living room when you want some space on your own. The Spirit of God is, is the perfect house guest inside you. But if you invite him, if you put your phone down and you turn off your screen, if you give him your attention, your house guest will start to change your house. Start to change your house. It will get cleaner and warmer and more beautiful and simpler and more joyful. And of course, the deepest part of us where the spirit lives, that guest room, is not the same as the loudest part of us. Because our worries and our anxieties and our fears and our desires and our needs and our preoccupation and our comfort and our security are much more insistent voices a lot of the time, much more present to us than this house guest is the, who is the Holy Spirit. And that's why I wanted us to hear the story of the rich young ruler even though this is not a talk about money or giving. Now, he came to Jesus, and he was one of those group of people, the kind of religious leaders of the people, who were at the same time very attracted to the power and the grace that came with Jesus, and at the same time, very, very wary, because he didn't fit any of their theological categories. But this person came to Jesus, and he wanted a quiet word. I mean, they didn't do private in those days, or the disciples wouldn't have earwigged on it, and then they couldn't have written it down. But he wanted a quiet word, and he's rich, which is unusual in those days, and he's young, which is even more unusual. Because in those days, the head of the family, you know, the oldest male, 
controlled all the assets and everything. So the only way you got to be rich when you were young is if your dad died early or you were a very successful trader or business person. And ruler likely means synagogue ruler. So kind of, you know, bishop, you know, that archdeacon, that dean, that, that kind of person. And he came to Jesus and he, he wanted more. And Mark's gospel says that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And Jesus said, well, you know, if, if you want more, you know the commandments, why don't you just do them? And the young man says, well, yes, I, I'm pursuing those. And effectively, he's saying to Jesus, there must be more than trying to be good. You know, there must, there must be more in God than trying to be good. And Jesus answered, if you want to go and be perfect, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. And the question I want to ask you, a bit tongue-in-cheek, is why was Jesus so mean? I mean, why did Jesus do that? Didn't do it with anybody else. You know, Peter and James and John, they had to stop earning money from fishing. Didn't tell them to sell everything they had. Didn't tell them to give up their share in the family fishing business. You know, Matthew, the tax collector, he had to stop collecting taxes. But Jesus didn't say, give away all your personal wealth, or, you know, you can't be one of the twelve. So, why this guy? Why didn't Jesus say, oh, come on, you know, come and join the team for a year. Come on the road with me. Why did he tell him to sell up first? <coughs> so, um, Jane and Josh, if you can help me out here, I think it would be great to have people's ideas. Why did Jesus do this to the rich young ruler? Anyone want to have a go? I haven't got a right answer. It's fine to have a go. Anyone want to be brave? Nathan, fantastic. Um, because it's harder for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Good. Good. But Matthew is rich too. Anyone else? I'll come behind you. His security was in his wealth. His security was in his wealth. Very good. But isn't that true for all of us? Up to a point. Yeah, well, it's a similar thing is wealth became his idol. Wealth became his idol. Very good. Yes. Anyone else? 
because uh, he was going for the perfect answer. He'd already asked Jesus what to do to be good, and Jesus had told him, follow the commandments as you are. But he was pushing. He, wanted, he was already rich. He wanted to be perfect in every way. And Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, you've got to get rid of it all. Very good. Thank you. Yes, kind of Jesus raising the bar. You can't worship God and mammon. Can't worship God and mammon. Quite right. Jesus wanted him to be free rather than held down by his wealth. Jesus wanted him to be free. Really good. Thank you. So the traditional view, if you read the Bible commentaries, is that having to give away everything is not a kind of condition before you can be a follower of Jesus. Because, after all, only this one person got that message. But you have to be ready to give away everything if Jesus asks you. And in this case, he did. And probably because the commentators say, and some of, some of you have said, because for this man, money was an idol that had a grip on his heart. But I would like to offer an alternative interpretation. Maybe it's not a story about materialism and idolatry. I mean, it could be. But maybe it's about what wealth does and what having it does. Because money gives the illusion of security and control. If you know where your next meal is coming from, if when you get up in the morning you have a choice about what to put on, if you know where your bed will be tonight, life feels much less precarious. We are likely to think and feel that we are in control. And it's an illusion. We have no idea what tomorrow brings. We don't even control the breath in our bodies. And as the boss said, we cannot add even a minute to the span of our lives. Money also insulates us from what is real and what we actually need to face and deal with because it distracts us. It brings pleasure. It brings distractions. Do something else. Have some fun. C.S. Lewis famously said that humans can't bear very much reality. And distraction has never been easier than in this digital age. Um, and I don't know about you, but when I was a kid um, and I went to boarding school and uh, there was no TV and a very limited uh, range of things that we could do, I was really, really bored a lot of the time. You know, boredom and dealing with it was a really big part of my life. But I very rarely get bored now because any time 
when I might be bored, you know, waiting for a train or something like that, I've got my screen. And out it comes from my pocket, you know, where it lives. And there are a thousand and one different things I can do with this screen that will kind of distract me and engage me and amuse me. Um, and I'm rarely bored. And if I am bored, it's because I've gone somewhere and I'm doing something where it's not really done to look at your screen. I wonder whether Jesus wanted this young man away from any place where he felt in control, away from anything which could kind of distract him from being with Jesus and listening to Jesus and receiving the message of the kingdom. Because only then would he have space in his heart. I want to take you back for a minute to the primary icon of Christmas. I just want you to imagine it. I haven't got a picture. Which is Mary and Joseph in the stable. And uh, my favourite one is the kind of clip-out one where you've just got the outline of a stable and you've got Mary on one side and Joseph of the other and you've got the crib with, with the baby in the middle and there's just stars and it's just the sense of the, the peace and the joy of the Christmas event just comes through that for me and it's, it's so much more powerful than any number of Santas or elves or sleighs or snowmen or anything like this. It's just this image of Jesus being born that very night. To us a child is born, to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom forever. And of course it's poignant... Because although the God of heaven made room for us, emptying himself and coming as a vulnerable baby, we did not make room for him. Now he was in a stable, whether or not it was a traditional stable or just the least good room in the family courtyard because Mary was under something of a shadow. The family had no room. Herod had no room at all for Jesus. He was terrified at the idea. The religious leaders didn't want him. The political establishment was scared of him. They had no room for Jesus, the King of the Jews. He lived on the margins and at the edge and just about everybody with power or influence kept him well away. Right down through the centuries to our age, which chooses to act as if God does not exist, and which certainly has no room for Jesus. 
which makes me think, do I have room for Jesus or am I just too busy, too distracted, too much, you know, with my job, with my stuff, with my devices, my screens? Do I make any space for my house guest? Is the invitation that I make a genuine one, or is it for later? And it's not just for us, because on the day that Jesus was born, the angels sang, you know, which was a fantastic mission strategy. I don't know why God doesn't do that every year, you know, at Christmas time, send the angels to a different part of the world, you know, to wake people up. Hey, it's Christmas. Come on, it's Christmas. It would be fantastic, but for some reason, he chooses not to do it. And so it's down to us. And the extent to which we are attractive with the message of Jesus is the extent to which he kind of shines out of us and is at home in our innermost being. Now, there are lots of ways to make room, and I'm sure you don't need me to tell you. There's lots of practical stuff. There's lots of thinking about it. There's lots of talks you can listen to. There's lots of really, really good stuff out there. But I don't want to do that today because the thing is, I don't know your heart. But he does. So what I want to do is I want us to give some time to just being quiet with God and listening to the Holy Spirit. And I want to do this by taking you in your imagination back to the story of the rich young ruler. You don't have to be rich or young or male. You can be whoever you are. But I want to take you back to that story. Now, not everybody finds this way of praying and inviting Jesus the easiest to do so you can use the time any way you want, but I want to encourage you, if you're up for it, to go for this. So I want you to imagine that you are in Palestine with Jesus. I'd like you to shut your eyes and get as comfortable as you can on these particular chairs. And you are not in the conference center in Sheffield, but you're in Palestine. And Jesus has been speaking, but now there is a pause. And you sense that he has time for you right now because he's just made eye contact with you. Jesus looks at you And you know in that moment that you are important to Jesus. You know in that moment that he loves you. And you walk towards him. What are you going to say to him?
the rich young ruler said, Jesus, what's missing in my life? What are you going to say to Jesus? Just take a moment. And then I want you to pause because there's a silence in that town square in Palestine where you are with Jesus. And everyone is holding their breath because everyone wants to know what Jesus says to you. But actually, you're only interested in that moment in what Jesus has to say and he's focused just on you. So give space to your imagination and give space to the Holy Spirit. What does Jesus say to you? What is his invitation to you right now? Whatever you've heard in the quiet, I want to encourage you right now to make a note of it. If you didn't hear anything particularly, that's absolutely fine. And in a bit, we're going to respond to him in worship. Let's pray as we come to do that.
God, would you give us the grace to make room? To have time when we stop? When we lay down our busyness, our hurry, our distraction? And when you are our priority? And God, would you progressively inhabit that home that is us? And would that still center where you live with us be more and more our daily walk, our daily reality? Thank you, Lord.